hey, it's really good to be together and be on journey together. You know, that's what we really, really are. I heard somebody say one time that we're really walking one another um, to heaven. And unfortunately, it was at a memorial service, but, it was, but that's such a true, profound statement that we're literally getting, have the opportunity to walk with one another um, to our home. And so it's important that we are on journey together. And I know it's still weird times and, you know, and all that stuff. And there's shots. And should I get the shot? Should I not get the shot? I'll just tell you what I did. You guys want to know what I did? You don't care. Okay. So um, I, I got a shot and um, shingle shot. And uh, so I don't get shingles because I heard that that's really painful. And so I got that. And then I actually got the other shot. And so anyways. Hey, I want to give you a Clio update. Not that I want to sit up here and talk about us at all, because I'd rather not. But I know a lot of you guys are asking and wanting to know, because you stopped and prayed for us last week, and I was able to be at home and watch and um, listen as close as I could. And uh, have you ever have a laptop, like, stuck up to your head like this? <laughs> okay. Well, that was me, and because um, I know that Dana took some time, and I just want to thank, I know Dana Buck's out teaching Sunday school, and our staff who just stepped up. So, yeah, we've been on a, we've been on a journey, yeah. and um, it's been a couple years of kind of toughness with, with Cleo's physical thing. You know, it started back in 89, and, and all that stuff, and if, I'd love to tell you the story. Well, I would tell you the story if you pull me aside and ask, but it's, uh, it's just been one of those things, and so... She's got vascular growths happening in her brain right now, and so they're not tumors, but they're vascular, probably because of the radiation done in 1991 and 1994. The thing with that is usually people don't live that long to realize that there's side effects 30-plus years later, and so, um, so she's got some side effects from that. And, uh, you know, so there's swelling going on in her brain, and 12 weeks ago they put a new shunt in. It's not doing what they expected it to do. And she, I just want you to know that my wife is a trooper. Yes. And we both realize that we're not going to win this battle with the strength of our own hands, but it's going to take him. So God has surrounded us with you, which is awesome, and he's surrounded us with some really good doctors. And I was telling Bakhtiar this morning that, our hope is not in our doctors. I want you to know that. Um, it never has been. Our hope is in him. And we ask him to lead our doctors. Yes. And um, so, yeah, there's this new, brand-new experimental thing they've never really used on anything like her. And, um, and so then you have to get insurance. Anybody ever deal with insurance? Oh, yeah. If you're an insurance agent, love you. Um, <laughs> I say that out of obedience this morning. And uh, yeah, so got the call Thursday that they approved that she can start their treatment. And so uh, <laughs> whatever that means from an insurance company. But yeah, so she starts tomorrow, um, starts her treatment tomorrow in Seattle. So yeah, 3.30 tomorrow, 3.30. So no. <laughs> Hallelujah, no. So um, my wife is a saint, but I don't want to wake her up at 2 a.m. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it is a journey, and we're walking this journey together, and then it's just really cool to be able to walk through it with you. And um, I'm humbled by the meals and the cards, and I came in on my desk, and someone even left me parking money. There was a note on my desk that said PK, and whenever you walk into your office and there's just a note that simply says PK, you're like, not going to open that. 
you know, it's like, I don't like you, I don't, you know, that whole thing. Um, so I opened it up, and it just simply had a little cash in it, a lot of cash, and it had a note, it just said, parking money. So when we go into Seattle for these events, oh yeah, that was kind of cool. So I'll try to use it on that, and not a Dick's Burger while we're, <laughs> while we're up there, okay? Um, yeah, it's good. Cleo and I have decided long ago that we would follow Jesus wherever he leads us. And he has led us on a unique journey. And I know for some of us, we would say, well, I believe that God wants Cleo healed. And I'll just say yes. But I also know that life this side of heaven is very broken. And anybody that tells me life on this side of heaven is not broken hasn't really opened their eyes to look. It's very broken. It doesn't take long to just visit the halls of a, of a nursing home or a hospital or just driving down the street or even looking in your own neighborhood and realizing, man, we live in a broken, broken world. But God's grace is way greater, way greater than our brokenness. And he does heal. And I do believe that he's healed my wife. I mean, every time we used to take her in to her neurosurgeon who's retired, we retired a neurosurgeon. How often can you say that? Because normally they retire you. Um, and um, he would just say, there's, and he's not even a believer. He knows we are. He goes, there's our miracle right there. So for years, 28 years, Cleo had deficit on her left side, but she was not having any problems up here. Trust me. She suffered an attack. Held me, held me accountable. So it's been, it's been a journey, but our God is so good in the midst of it. And we have decided, like I said long ago, to follow Jesus. No turning back. So that, thank you for worshiping with us this morning, because that was kind of my journey. That he's going to cover us, and he's going to carry us when the world gives way. And I, God, I give it all to you, trusting that you're going to make something beautiful out of this. And I have decided to follow Jesus, and I am confident. You see the progression there of those songs this morning? Those are my prayers. Those have been my prayers. And so I said, hey, let's sing our prayers today, because our God is faithful, and he's with us in the midst of the crazy, in the midst of the chaos. He is with us. And when we look at John chapter 6, Jesus turned to his disciples after all these people who had come to gather to follow him. They were following Jesus. Thousands were following Jesus. And then he was saying, hey, you really want to follow me? Yeah, we want to follow you. You offer all kinds of goodies to us. Water into wine, free lunches. You know, we see people getting healed. We've heard about all these things. The media is blowing up. Social media is blowing up. We see all these things, and we want to follow you. And since Jesus said, okay, if you really want to follow me, this is what it's going to take. You have to fully take me in. You have to fully trust me. You have to fully follow me. And they were like, we want to keep doing what we're doing, and we want to just like, ah, Jesus, you're like my cell phone which I normally never carry, but I forgot it on my music stand. 
So, Jesus, I just want to bring you along with me. And here's the cool thing about Jesus. He does love us. And the Bible says he loves us with an everlasting love, and that's because he is jealous. You guys realize the Bible says he is jealous for us. Normally we take jealousy as a real negative, but in this case, it's a positive because he will fight for you. He has fought for you. He has won for you. And so that's why he says, you have to fully take me in. You can't just carry me around whenever you want and put, put me on do not disturb. <laughs> you have to fully take me in. And when they heard that, they're like, we don't want to follow you anymore. And Jesus turned to his 12 and said, well, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says this profound statement If you want to open your Bibles to John chapter 6, and Peter makes this profound statement when Jesus says, are you going to leave me too? He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Verse 68. And who who has the words of eternal life? For we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So they said, no, Jesus, we're going to follow you. We're going to follow you wherever you lead us and wherever you want us to go because you have the words of eternal life. Crowds didn't really like that. Crowds weren't really, I mean, they wanted just to add Jesus to their life, but Jesus says, no, you got to fully take me in. He said, I am the bread of life. I am your sustenance. You have to fully take me in. There's this great quote in this book called Following Jesus. A few of you guys have read it. A few of you ladies are reading it. You'll hear more about it. Some try to follow Jesus without giving up their past life. So listen to that. Some try to follow Jesus without giving up their past life and their sin. As followers of Jesus, we cannot go on sinning and doing whatever I want or whatever I think feels right. As a Christian, God's thoughts, his words, and his direction must be moved to the forefront of my daily decisions. So it's not just whatever I want to do, wherever I want to go, whatever I want, I, 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 it's all about Jesus. And that's why people chose, nope, we want to keep doing what we want to do. We're good before without you. We'll we'll be good without you. But his disciples recognized, you have the words of eternal life. And we recognize that you are the Savior. And we, there are believers that we see pop in and pop out and that will follow him. And we'll actually see it in John chapter 7 as we get into here. Favorite movie. Now, we don't have time. I'm looking at the time. We don't have time for me to kind of bounce around the room and say, hey, what's your favorite movie? And have like four or five of you tell me what your favorite movie is. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask the question, and then all at once, you're just going to tell me your favorite movie. Okay? So all at once, just, I mean, and don't be shy, because I won't hear you. I'm going to try to hear the movie that I'm thinking of. Okay? (laughs) But I might not. All right? Ready? On three. What's your favorite movie? One, two, three. (laughs) Dana Davis likes Star Wars. I heard that. Okay? I heard nobody else. Let's do it one more time, because let me, let me stand way over here. 
<laughs> hey, I'm proud of you. You did. You you are. Okay. We'll ask about the first three later. Okay. Uh, okay. Ready? Favorite movie. One, two, three. Okay. What I just found out. I do not have the gift of interpretation. <laughs> I don't have that. Um, one of my favorite movies, the TV version. I want to be very clear for those of you watching at home and in the house. The TV version, Shawshank Redemption. I've seen that, you know. I, you know, I just, I'm just saying, there's some, um, watch that from a spiritual perspective. In fact, I invite you to watch. And whatever, if you watch, watch it and get God's heart. So Andy Dufresne is talking to Red. And he says this. I guess it comes down to a simple choice, really. Get busy living or get busy dying. Now, when you watch that movie, that's, that's like, ooh, that's kind of depressing. But can I say from the spiritual, when I hear that, I hear the apostle Paul saying, for me to live is Christ. But for me to die is what? It's gain. In fact, I want to read you that passage. You don't have to look it up. It's in Philippians chapter 1. For me, living means living for Christ. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for, the, for your sakes... It is better that I continue to live. And so I'm going to tweak Andy Dufresne's quote just a little bit this morning. Just a little bit. Get busy living for Jesus and get busy dying to yourself. You know, a few weeks ago when we had those baptisms, it was such a beautiful picture. And we're going to have another baptism coming up in a couple weeks. Um, it's such a beautiful picture that, hey, when I stand in the water, I'm myself. But when I go under the water, I'm dying to myself. And when I'm raised up out of the water, it's brand new life. It's a fresh start, a brand new beginning. In fact, if you want to be baptized and you never were, have been baptized and you want to, we don't have a sign-up for you, but just talk to me. June 6th, we're going to have another baptism. Because it's new life. We're going to celebrate new life in Jesus. And that's what I see Andy saying is, get busy living for Jesus. And let's get busy dying to ourselves and not making it about us. But let's make it about his kingdom and what he wants to do. There's another great quote that you've heard often. I'm not really into soliloquies, but I have seen a couple. Soliloquy is a one-person play. And um, actually, there's a great one on the book of John. Um, it goes way back. Who was the star in Herbie and the Love Bug, the older guy? Dean Jones. Dean, Dean what? Dean Jones. It is Dean Jones. Okay. Look it up. He does one on the book of John, and it is phenomenal. But there's one that Shakespeare wrote called Hamlet, and there's this great quote in scene three, or act three, scene one, I think it is, where Hamlet is contemplating life. Now, what is this life really all about? And you recognize it. To be or not to be? 
that is the question. To be or not to be, that is the question. And then he just goes off on this rant, and he's figuring out, what, should I live or should I die? What should I do? I don't know. I don't know. And I think a lot of us see that. And so this morning, I've taken Shakespeare, just like I took Andy's phrase, and I tweaked it just a little bit. To believe or not to believe, that is the question. And when we look at the book of John, John's whole purpose of writing this book is for those who would read it, that they would believe in Jesus. John chapter 20. He wrote it so we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in him. John chapter 20. The whole reason why he wrote wrote this book, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is for people to believe. And John chapter 7 starts off with Jesus hanging around in his hometown. He'd just gone through, you know, the feeding of so many and all the stuff that was happening and then being persecuted for that, being hunted down because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. And that conversation continues in John chapter 7. There's a lot going on in John chapter 7. And like a young pastor in ministry, I'm going to cover John chapter 7 in one Sunday. And everybody laughs. Ha, 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 ha. Because I'm a lot like Paul Harvey. I remember back in the day when I used to work construction at 11.50 sharp. We had some guys on the like, hey, we're stopping. We're 10 minutes early. And we would listen for 10 minutes. We listened to Paul Harvey. And then at the very end, it would say, tune in to Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. Now, you could tune in sometime later, which I never did. So I don't know what the rest of the story is. But... But you could, and he would give kind of the highlights and stuff. So Sunday morning today, John chapter 7 is, this is just a highlight. And you go home and tune in to the rest of the story. And you read through it. Man, get into the word and read what Jesus was doing. He is saying profound stuff in John chapter 7. Life-changing. And actually, John quotes Jesus more than any other of the gospels. If you have the red-letter version, it's read all over the place. Because John really wants us to know that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one they were looking for. He was the one they were hoping for. And he was right there in their presence. And they didn't recognize it. And what's so amazing about John chapter 7 is Jesus shows up at this festival. Anybody been to a festival? Come on, join me. Anybody been to a festival? Okay. Any Woodstock people in here? Okay. Just curious. I was going to ask you a few questions. I've been to a a couple of festivals. Um, When I was college age, we went to Summerfest in Enumclaw, Washington. And the headliner was Mylon Lefevre and Broken Heart. I was was introducing one of my friends to him the other day. And um, and the guy who was the MC was this guy named Randy Stonehill. And um, man, it was like three days of... Just all Christians gathered in this one place, and it poured down rain. It was a mess, but it was amazing. So Cleo and I loved that so much. A couple years later, we got married, and then our first anniversary, we got married young. I won't say young and dumb, but just young and not experienced. How's that? (laughs) So like for our our honeymoon, we went to Disneyland and Universal Studios and stuff, because we thought, hey, that would be fun. Now I think it's like, why don't we go to the beach somewhere anyways? 
And then for our first anniversary, we went to Jesus Northwest. You know, another, another festival. And then when I was a youth pastor, we used to take him to creation. We'd go camping all week, and then we'd take him to creation the last, like the last big day. And it was all Christian concerts and stuff. And what we found out, it was just a really expensive nap <laughs> for our kids. You know, like 50 bucks each and get in there, and they're like fired up for the first few hours. And then the big-time headliners come on at night. And you look over, and we should be all up jumping and singing and yelling, and our whole group is crashed out, sleeping on the ground. <laughs> but festivals, amazing. And what's amazing, too, is about the book of John in chapter 7, that Jesus shows, is going to show up at this festival, the festival of tabernacles. It's the festival of booths. It's the festival of tents, where the children of Israel, celebrating the children of Israel leaving Egypt, and when they were camping, and when God led them in the desert, I get goosebumps because God doesn't do anything by accident. And you realize there's three traveling festivals, pilgrimages, that if you are a Jew who follows the law and follows tight in, especially if you're a man, you had to be at these events. It was required. So there's three of them. The first one is Festival of Tabernacles. The second one is Passover. And the third one is Pentecost. Now, you just look at those. Those have been going on for thousands of years. Thousands of years. But if you look at those and then look, add Jesus to it now, the Festival of Tabernacles is a celebration that God was with them in the desert. John chapter 1 says that Jesus came here to do what? To dwell with us. You know what the word dwell means? Tabernacle. They're celebrating. They're calling it the Feast of Tabernacles. And the one who tabernacles with us is going to show up at this event. And then Passover is the celebration of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And then Pentecost is a celebration of God's Spirit released out to all those who believe. By the way, that's today. Pentecost Sunday is today. The day that we celebrate that God started his church by pouring out his Holy Spirit into us. Amen. I'll take more of the Holy Spirit. Anybody else? All right. So raise your hand if that's you. If you want more of him, Raise your hand right now. So Jesus, right now on Pentecost Sunday, we pray for more of your Holy Spirit in our lives. God, would you light us up with your glory, Jesus? Not for ours, but for yours. May we be a reflection of you and who you are in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, and in the places that you've called us to be, God. Light us up. Fill us up, God, with this living water that you promise here in John chapter 7. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of God providing manna, bread from heaven, that God provided water out of a rock. Now, just in John chapter 6, we just saw it. Jesus stood up in the crowd, and, and he declared, I am the bread of life. I am the bread from heaven, the manna. So, he just takes it right in. Remember, God doesn't make mistakes. God is using the things that they're going through, what they've been celebrating for years, 
And then he says, like, okay, this, this whole time it's been a picture of my son. That I desire to dwell, to tabernacle with you, to hang out with you. It's an incredible thing. And so when we pick it up in John chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus went around Galilee and he did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were there looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples may see your work, the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Yeah, exactly. Someone said, wow. Even his own brothers. So it sounds like they're mocking him. They're like, Jesus, if you want to be famous, you need to go down to the festival and do what you've been doing. And Jesus has this conversation with his brothers and says, I'm not going. It's not my time to go. You guys realize that God has a perfect time. God keeps perfect time. I don't always like how he keeps time. Often I think he's late. I hate being late. If you know that about me, I hate being late. But often I think God is late. But God's timing is perfect. Always. He's never late. He's not really very often either. His timing is perfect. So Jesus says, I'm not going to that festival with you. Because I think if you kind of read between the lines here is they wanted a little glory for themselves. Like, hey, we're Jesus' brothers. We get to hang out. It's kind of the entourage you know, like when Alphonse, dude, when you're wearing the big ring and you've won the Super Bowl or whatever it is, <laughs> I'm going to be part of his entourage. <laughs> I'll be the little white guy in the background, you know. <laughs> I like carrying his bags, whatever you need, buddy, <laughs> whatever you need. Because I will a little bit of the glory that comes down on him will kind of bounce off him, and I'll kind of get a few scraps of it. Like, oh, man, I get to hang out with him. Right? And that's what his brothers are like, Jesus, let's go. You're going to do big things and great things. All these people are going to be blown away by all these things that you do. So let's go. Jesus sees that in their heart and says, I'm not going, because I can see your motive, and you, want to, you just want to be famous. Jesus didn't come here to be famous. <laughs> and he'll go on if you read. In fact, I encourage you to read. He'll go on to say, hey, I didn't come here for this. I was sent here to be a sacrifice, to die. So it's not my time. So his brothers go. They go do their thing. They're going. And not long after, Jesus says, okay, then I'm going to go. Now it's, now it's my time. But I'm not going to go with all this circumstantial pomp and circumstance stuff. I'm going to just go in secret. Because they were trying to kill him and find a way to, they are stalking him. 
trying to find a way. We got to get this guy and get him. So we're going to we're expecting to see him at this festival because every young man is required to be there. Jesus will be there. So we're looking for him. Jesus goes up in secret and about halfway through the festival, Jesus goes and begins to teach and begins to share his heart. And the crowd is absolutely amazed. A little confused about who he is, where he came from, but they are amazed. Verse 12, John chapter 7. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of their leaders. And these leaders had a lot of control. And we'll see that when, when you read it, that they, had, they were going to send temple guards. We want you to go arrest him and bring him to us. But again, God's timing. One day they will arrest him and they will bring him, but not now. So then Jesus is teaching at this festival. It's an incredible experience. They're, they're blown away by who he is and what he's having to say. They, they can't even imagine. They're, they're like, how is he doing this? That's what they literally say. How, how is he doing this? We know this guy. We know him. We know who his parents are. We know he didn't go to school. We know he's been a woodworker. He's been a carpenter. How is he able to stand in our synagogue and teach us and is unlike anything we've ever heard before? And Jesus says, I know you know me. We've talked about it a little bit. You know, you go, go to your hometown, you go hang out with your family and friends, and they just see you as who you used to be. They don't see you as the new creation that you are in Christ. And sometimes we don't allow them to see the new creation we are in Christ. We veil it. We throw on the Moses veil and like, okay, I'm, for a couple hours I can kind of slide back. And, no, man, be the light. Wherever you go, be light. Amen. Be the new creation God has created you to be because they desire to be a new creation as well. The whole thing's being gone and the new thing's to come. Jesus is having this conversation with the crowd. It's interesting. And then verse 20. Crazy verse. This is what the crowd says to Jesus. You are demon-possessed. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus says, hey, they're trying to kill me. They're coming after me. And so they just said, man, you're demon-possessed. I don't know if that was just something they threw around back then. I don't, I mean, that's, we don't throw that around out here, do we? That's a, that's a lot of shade if you're throwing that on somebody. <laughs> you start walking around saying people are demon-possessed, that's, that's big. And again, Jesus goes on to have conversation, and he's telling them, hey, this is who I am. I didn't come here on my own. I know you know me. But the one who really sent me He's why I'm here, and I'm doing his work. 
And so again, the crowd is just confused. Like, some of them see him as, ah, this guy's good. We like him. But then some of them are like, I don't know. This goes against everything that I've ever known, everything that I've ever been taught. And the crowd starts murmuring again to themselves. If we look at verse 25, at this point, some of the people in Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? So I guess they are kind of getting it now. Here he is speaking in the public or speaking publicly, and they are not trying or saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know that the Messiah, where the Messiah is from, when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Now, is that true, church? When the Messiah comes, the crowd was saying, well, nobody will know where he's from. That's not true, is it? We know he's from where? From Bethlehem. Now, they really know that. You know what the word Bethlehem means? House of bread. Now, what did Jesus just say in John chapter 6? I am the bread of life. God doesn't make mistakes in his word. It's amazing how his word just fits together. Jesus was born in the house of bread. He was the and is the bread of life. So they know that. And they go on to have this conversation. The leaders of the temple send, they finally send, like the guards are like, you need to go get this guy and bring him in. So as Jesus is continuing to have conversation, they don't do anything. In fact, if you finish reading towards the very end, they come back empty-handed, and they're like, well, where's Jesus? Like, <laughs> they don't even answer that question. They're like, hey, we're, we're, this is your, like, boss is talking to you, and you're, you're just, you know, you're the soldiers. Hey, where's Jesus? Where's he at? Why didn't you bring him back to us? And their response is, man, you won't believe the words that this guy says. It's unlike anything we've ever heard before. And then they're like, man, are you guys deceived too? And then Nicodemus, we know Nicodemus, the meeting Nick at night showed up. And then Nicodemus stands up and says, shouldn't it be right that we just at least hear this guy? They're like, what are you, are you from Galilee too? They just have this whole conversation. But here's the amazing thing about John chapter 7. There's an event that happens at this festival at the very beginning, it's a seven-day festival. At the very beginning, the priest, they would walk together, and it was big. They were wearing all their stuff. They got music playing. They had these gold containers. They would go down to the, the Pool of Siloam, and they would dip their, and fill up their water vessels, these gold water vessels, and they would parade them back up to the temple. And then every day, they would pour a little bit of that water, just a little bit of that water out on the altar, as a prayer. God, God, this is our prayer. A little bit of water. It's a little symbol. But then on the last day of the feast, they would actually do what they did when they walked around Jericho. They walked around the altar. Again, this is big. Music playing, very dramatic. Big hats, big robes, gold everywhere. Marching around this thing. It's very symbolic, but it was very religious. There's no heart behind it. We're just doing this because we've always done this. And we don't know why we're doing this. You don't know why I'm doing this. After seven times, they would pour the water. And at that moment, 
the perfect moment, Jesus stands up and says, if anyone is thirsty, that's perfect. Now they know why they're doing it. If anyone is thirsty, come to me, Jesus said, and rivers of living water will pour out of you forever. I will put life in you if you come to me. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And here it says, if anyone who is thirsty, come to me. He is addressing our most basic human needs. Just to survive on planet Earth, we need bread and water. It's the joke, right? You're in jail. What do you get? Bread and water. You know, when our son was growing up. Hey, that, you know, you didn't have a very good game today. You're just going to go home and have bread and water. You know, it's the big joke. But it's so profound that Jesus takes our most basic need and points to himself and says, you want to have life? Then life is found in me. It's not found circling an altar. It's not found even in camping out for seven days. Life is found in me. I'm the one who came to tabernacle to dwell with you. You come here to celebrate this festival. This festival has me written all over it. Open your eyes and see it. And that's what Jesus says here. If anyone who is thirsty, come to me, and I will give them living water. And I just thought it was perfect timing. God's perfect timing. Because the living water he's talking about here, he goes on to say, is the Spirit of God, who has not been poured out onto the believers yet because Jesus hadn't been glorified. Jesus' job was not done yet. He hadn't gone to the cross. He hadn't taken the keys of death back. And he hadn't ascended back into heaven. So the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. But he did come. We as a church believe that the Holy Spirit is still active today, just like he was in the Bible. I can't start just ripping out parts of the Bible that I don't like. I wouldn't have much left. So Jesus says, come to me, and I will satisfy your thirst by pouring my spirit out over you and from within you. See, that's the thing about the Holy Spirit. It's not just a thing that happens to us periodically. It's living water from the inside. It's living water that's, that's giving us life from the inside. And part, sometimes it's like, am I going to let that living water flow out of me? Sometimes we get scared about that, right? It's like, ugh, if I have that living water inside me, it might just start splashing out. Good, let it splash. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Remember that song? Was that like an old kid song? And there's one part where everybody says, splish, splash, splish, splash. Well, let it, let it splash all over. Wouldn't that be amazing if the Holy Spirit is, if we just say, God, I understand that I cannot live this life on my own. I think most of us in this room and watching from home or wherever, we've made that decision. Like, okay, I understand that about you, God. I, I can't live this life on my own. 
We can't live it up here either. You can't just make that decision up here and then it not affect like your whole being. And that's why he says, you have to have my spirit. You have to. Jesus ascends into heaven. The angels come and says, hey, go back to Jerusalem. You're supposed to wait. Remember Jesus said, hey, go wait. Then you'll go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so they wait, and then the Holy Spirit, like, like the wind, comes into this place. And they're changed forever. And I believe that's what God wants to do in his church, to change us forever. Because we're eternal people. Your neighbors are eternal people. Don't lose perspective of that. That person you get mad at who just cuts you off driving, they're eternal. (laughs) That's why it's important that we allow his living water to spring up, oh well, within us. And so others would know of this one who offers living water. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, would you? I'm I'm hoping that all of us have made the decision the way we started to follow Jesus and then to make the proclamation to say, I'm not turning back. But I also want to acknowledge that, man, the world we're living in is a hard place right now. Let's just be very real. It is a hard place right now to live. And it's important that we, for our own sake, to say, I'm not turning back. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. To be like the 12 and say, Jesus, where else would we go? I mean, there's times where it's like, yeah, what if I just got on an airplane? (laughs) With my mask, of course. No turning back. And I just want to encourage some of you, if maybe you've been having these thoughts like, man, I don't know if it's worth it. I just don't know if I can follow Jesus. Which is what the crowd said. But I want you to stand above the crowd. I want you to stand firm with him. I want to encourage you that there's no one like Jesus. Yeah, it might be hard, and it might be really difficult. Yes. In fact, let me say this. I just used the word might. So let me just say this. It will be hard, and it will be difficult. Not always, but at times, yes. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith that God has got you, that he's with you. Hang on to his promises. And if you don't know his promises, then I encourage you to start reading this book. It's full of his promises. I need to get a new promise list. I know there's a handful I could just like that, but there's way more. I need to read this book more so I know more of his promises because he's with us. So some of you that are like, I don't know, I want to encourage you this morning to stand firm in your faith. God is with you. God sees you. God knows what's going on. He'll walk with you. Maybe some of you this morning, you're having a hard time with God's timing. Hmm. I get it. 
I want to remind you that his timing is perfect. And everything we've been walking through and seeing and doing, just like these festivals, just like when we read, I want you to just put Jesus into that place. And like, oh, I get it. I see it. God, you're with me. Even in the crazy, I was at the, I was at the hospital last week in a really hard meeting with a brand new doctor. It's a very emotional, just wheeling Cleo through the, the hospital in a wheelchair was, it was rough. So I was like this. She didn't know what she was facing away. And in, the, in that moment, I just felt Jesus say, I'm with you. So we get up to the doctor's office and we're doing our thing and he's saying all this stuff and then they take us to a different room and now we're waiting for social workers and nurses and lab techs and I happen to look over on the wall. I don't know if you're going to be able to see this. But it was just a little sign that was just taped onto the wall, just random. It didn't even look like it belonged there. It was like my three, three-year-old granddaughter just put a thumbtack on the wall, and it's like kind of lower, off, just weird. And it says, finding joy in the tough times. And I just felt the Lord say, yeah, these are tough times. But find your joy in me. Find your joy in me. And so if you're going through tough times this morning, if, if God's timing isn't your timing, I just want to encourage you to find joy in the tough times this morning. Jesus, as we come to you today, we do come to you, and we acknowledge that you are the bread of life, that you are the one who says, come to me if we're thirsty. Lord, I am and we are. We are thirsty for you, Jesus. So we pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit, into us, God, that you would change us forever, that your life would bubble up inside of us, that we would never, ever be the same because of the power that you pour into, the power of rushing water. And Lord, I pray for those who feel like they want to give up. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would surround them, that you would speak to them through their friends, family, just whoever, that they would see posters on the wall and they'd hear your voice, that they would stand firm with you and they would hold their ground, the holy ground that you've called them to stand in. And we trust you, God, with everything. God, I can say that this morning. We just, we trust you with everything. Thank you that you love us, Lord. Help us to love the way you love. God, help us to love one another. It was so fun to see us laughing and talking to one another this morning, shaking hands and bumping elbows and even a few hugs. Jesus, thank you for doing that in us. Remind us that we're not walking this path, this journey all by ourselves, but you walk with us and we walk together with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You're amazing. We love you. Looking forward to many more Sundays together.